Okay, it's my privilege this morning to welcome a friend and elder Dion Henning. Uh, come, Dion. Uh, Dion, um, yeah, he's just an awesome guy. We, we play frisbee together, and he's a runner and a jogger, father, and an awesome husband. Uh, but I just want to, uh, what did I say? No, not my husband. Also, <laughs> husband to, to Cuba. He's not my husband. Um, yeah, it's not my husband. Um, but uh, yeah, I want to ask you. I want to ask you this this morning to really open your hearts because Dion is probably one of the the wisest people that I I know. Uh, for me, he's a teacher at heart. So he just like unlocks the word of God. He just he's got so much wisdom. Um, so yeah, if you open your heart this morning, I can trust. I can I can promise you that God is going to unlock something through him about the scriptures, about you know, the word of God to you. He's so wise. I've received so much from him, and I'm excited this morning, Dion, to, to listen to what God has laid on your heart. And uh, yeah, he's also such, such a humble guy. Uh, I don't know, but if you know, but Dion and Kuba actually, many years ago, they actually came originally to, to plant this church. And he would preach every Sunday, would work and preach every Sunday, and lead worship. Um, so, and he's just been faithful, and he's just under the radar, faithful and serving, but he's such a man of God. So humble, and yeah, so let's, let's give him another clap and open our hearts. Amen. Thanks, Stephen. Good thing I'm not wearing a hat. Probably wouldn't fit after that. <laughs> Telling people that I'm married to him. Jeez. That's just flattery of the worst kind. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited to just share what God has laid on my heart. And uh, as a start, I just want to say that that um, I'm kind of I'm kind of just here today to share with you what what I feel God is challenging me with. It's not like I have the answer yet, um, but 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 I feel I feel like today is like a good time just to just to take a little bit of a step back and and to look to look at what we've learned um, in in in, the, in this particular area in the last while. Let's call it maybe call it maybe a year or two, and and out of that, listen to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying in terms of where we should be where we should be going. And I'm, and I'm wanting to kind of just, just use my, or parts of my story to, um, you know, to, to kind of get that across. But as a, sort of, let's call it as, as a taster or, or an appetizer, I just, wanna, I just want us to look at one scripture on the, on the screen. It's, it's that second slide, Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. It says that, that Enoch walked in habitual fellowship with God, and he was not, for God took him home with him. And and basically, it's sort of a, a couple of genealogies where um, the people are listed and, and, they, and, and sort of they were born. They were so old when they had these kids and then they passed away. But, but Enoch didn't pass away. Enoch didn't pass away. He, he just walked in such close fellowship with God that when it was his time to go, God just kind of came and fetched him and they couldn't find him. And that, and that sort of... Like I say, I want us to just just keep that in mind. That's kind of where we're going to get to at the end. But I think before I go any further, let me let me just pray for us. Father God, we just we just thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and for your goodness, God. Thank you, Lord, that you are that you are building your church, Lord, and that you are preparing a spotless bride. In Jesus' name, God, thank you, Lord, that there is. 
There are great and glorious days ahead, God, where, yeah, Lord, where you pour out revival, God, and where people's hearts turn wholly and fully to you and, 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 and your glory is revealed in the earth and your kingdom comes, Father. And we just want to say that we want to be a part of that, God. In the name of Jesus, God, we, it's our desire, Lord, for your kingdom to come. Lord, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. In Jesus' name, Lord, and we just want to welcome you now, Holy Spirit, to come and teach us and lead us and guide us into all truth, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you, that you come to open our ears and our eyes, God, in the name of Jesus, Father. And we just, you know, we just set aside just, the, just, our, just our, our natural abilities, Lord, to, to analyze and comprehend alone, Father. And we just, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and, come and give us... Give us revelation. Give us vision, Lord. Come and, come and reveal the Father's heart, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. It, it, it sometimes feels like a, it sometimes feels like a funny thing to say or, or, or to ask, to, tell, to say, God, say to God, I'm going to put my, my sort of analytical abilities aside and ask you to come and speak to me because I, I'm an engineer. I'm, I'm very analytical by nature. And if, and if the numbers don't tie up, then you, you know, then, then you don't sign it off. You, you have to find the problem and, and fix it. But the, but the, but the word of God says that the, that the letter kills, and the spirit gives life. So there's also a place where we need to say those those letters in the Bible. If I just approach them with merely my natural ability to comprehend content, it's actually, it actually leads to a place of of death. And we need we need the Holy Spirit to to make it. To make it come alive to us. So today is all about. Um, I was, almost want to call it like like Mother's Day in heaven. I want today to be all about the Holy Spirit, and uh, and I'm, I'm wanting just to share a little bit about about my life and my walk with the Holy Spirit and and, and the things that I've come to realize that I, that I've done wrong and and some of the things that I've come to realize that there was probably right and. And hopefully there's, hopefully there's some of it that you can relate with and some of it that you can, that you can learn from. But, but I want to start off by, by sharing a story about... When I was 12 years old, I believe, in, in Standard 5, and it was an athletics day. So there we were lined up at the start of an event, and, and a group of girls walks up to the starting line, and, and they say, good luck, we hope you win. And... You know, being 12 years old can be a little bit can, little, can be a little bit funny because you, for the first time, you kind of start taking an interest in things like girls or, or groups of girls. <laughs> and when I say group of girls, I mean two. <laughs> but you know, you, but you've got no frame of reference other than maybe what you watch on TV or the songs you listen to. Who's the boss, or Bon Jovi, or, or, or whatever? So, so I did what I thought was the right thing to do. I just like played it cool. I like, I like hardly acknowledged them, and they and they never spoke to me again, really. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's it is a funny story, but but it's not a but it's not a story in in today's context about about girls and dating. And such, I, I, I want to sort of pull it through to, to relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, 
I, I just think it, it is quite funny how there, there seems to be that sort of idea in, in pervasive culture that, that guys are just meant to be awesome and girls are meant to like fling themselves at them and, and the guy's meant to just play it cool and like, like almost pretend that he's not really interested. And, uh, and I'm being sort of faced with the challenge, God speaking to me, saying that to an extent we are, we are sort of almost inclined to treat the Holy Spirit like a groupie. Like we are the rock star and the groupie is just always there, always willing and and we just we just turn to the Holy Spirit when it's convenient, and when there's nobody watching, and so forth. But I'm gonna I'm running a little bit ahead of myself. Okay, we can forget about that story now, and move on. I only encountered the Holy Spirit around about age nineteen, twenty, when when I went to Stellenbosch, and I went to a to a show for a small group cell group called at that time. Um, and and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and everything was explained to me very nicely. I, you know, I can't I can't fault anything about what what I was taught. You know, there's like a you know when we buy an iPhone or a car or whatever, we, even if you're a guy, you'll like actually go and read read the manual initially. I'm sure, you know, how to get the most out of your iPhone or how to get the most out of your Suzuki Alto or whatever, you know, whatever it is, we, we, we tend to sort of intuitively understand that, especially when it comes to technology, that I'm not going to understand it as it comes out the box and I need to read the manual. And, and the manual about the Holy Spirit, it's not really appropriate, I think, to call it an owner's manual, but, but obviously we, ha- we have the scriptures and we have the Bible to tell us how to actually relate with the Holy Spirit and, and how, this, how this relationship should work. And we have, I've got four things, and by no means do I consider this to be an exhaustive, you know, list or, or a study, but I'm, I'm kind of just wanting to focus on, on the fact that everything about the Holy Spirit as it pertains to our relationship is a privilege for us. Firstly, we have the privilege of His presence, the presence of God, that if anybody in the Old Testament were to actually encounter His presence in all, its, in all its glory, they, would, they wouldn't survive it. Then we have the privilege of his assistance in helping us. We have the privilege of his fellowship. And we have the privilege of his, of his power actually being made available to us. And, you know, when, when I encountered the Holy Spirit, I think the thing that stood out for me was, ah, oh, I get to have his assistance. And, and you know, there the, are the scriptures that talk about how he... He helps us to, uh, to pray. Even when we don't know what to say, we can just pray in the Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit is helping us to, to say the perfect prayer. And, and I just, as a young person, maybe as an engineer, I just thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. It's a, it's a bargain. I'll take two. And, and, and so, um, you know, as, as I walked along, I got to... I got to experience how the Holy Spirit would sometimes, as you as you praying in spirit, He would reveal things to you, show you maybe what you know what to pray for for somebody. But but for the most part, I look back and I realize that that I, I kind of I kind of just took it as a as an excuse to not engage, because you when you are praying in the spirit, you are your mind actually doesn't really know 
what your what your mouth is saying. You you are speaking in a, in a heavenly language, and uh, and you know if if this is if this is all very very foreign to you and you've never heard it before, Encounter One spends a great a good deal of time actually explaining this, and it's it's very it's very well set out. So if you have any questions about about these things, please consider signing up for Encounter One. It's a it's a very it gives you a very good overview and explanation of what I'm talking about, and I'm not going to go into that too deeply, but I just look back and I, and I see how I, I kind of took the gift of being able to pray in tongues as, a, as an excuse to, to not really engage um, emotionally, let, let's use that word for the lack of a better word, you, can, you sort of just say, well, I know the right thing is happening and I don't have to think about it too much, so there I go. Karasubanda, Karasubanda, and and you and you and you're praying in the spirit, and somewhere somewhere along the line, and this is sort of what I'm what I'm wanting to get to, sort of tracing. I think what has happened recently is, as a church, that we started to realise that that we that we can't treat the Holy Spirit like an like an afterthought, and and that the Holy Spirit, we actually have the privilege of hosting the presence of God, and 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 the and the more intentional we are about hosting his presence, the more he is drawn to us. And, and you kind of get this, get this snowball effect. Okay, but I'm, I'm running slightly ahead. I just want to briefly, for each of these four, each of these four things, just, just show you something in Scripture. When, when it comes to the privilege of his presence, in Exodus 33, verse 15 to 16, Moses is speaking to God and he says, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So, so Moses understood the only thing that would make the people of God distinct was the fact that God is actually, it's the only people whose God is actually with them. Every other people on earth, you know, they, they might claim to have a God, but their God is somewhere else and, and far away. And, and we have the privilege of having our God with us because he wants to be with us. And, and I think that the theme just came through in the, in the worship this morning. And then, and then secondly, we have the privilege of, of his assistance. And, and this is just, just one of those scriptures that I was alluding to, Romans chapter 8. Verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And, and there, are, there are a couple of other scriptures that, that tie into this one that, um, that, that are covered very nicely in, in Encounter 1, but it, it basically explains to us that, that when, as a believer, when we pray in tongues, it's actually the Holy Spirit that is helping us to pray exactly what is needed in that moment. Then uh, we have the privilege of, of his fellowship. And, and this is, I think this is, this is the one where a lot of, a lot of growth has happened in the church. And, and we've seen, seen amazing fruit out of this. And, uh, and again, I've chosen to go back to, back to Exodus. Because when, when I think about the Holy Spirit... Exodus has such clear pictures 
and imagery about the presence of God. You've got the pillar of cloud and fire. And, and, it's, and later on in the Old Testament, you've got the, the Ark of the Covenant. But these things represent the presence of God. And, late, and later on in the New Testament, when we, when we hear Jesus speaking to the disciples, and, and he says, it's for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, then I can't send the Helper to come. And um, so God with us, Emmanuel, initially that was Jesus coming down to earth, but then Jesus said, okay, now I'm going to go away, and God is going to be with you in a slightly different way. But now the Holy Spirit is actually God with us, the presence of God. And so Exodus 33, verse 8 to 9, So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door, and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And when it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door with the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And, and Scripture talks about how the Lord spoke to Moses like you speak to a friend face to face. And there and they are these accounts of how later on people would question Moses' leadership and then God would actually come down and say, how, how dare you question his leadership? When I speak to any of you guys, it's in a vision or a, you know, a vague picture, but I speak to Moses face to face. And, and so and we have that privilege through a relationship with, with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so what happened, and I think it was probably about two or three years ago, is that like I said, we, we began to realize that, that I need to actively host the presence of God. I need to actively create a home for him. And, uh, and, it, and it mustn't just be, you know, drawing near because I'm, I'm in a place of ministry now and I'd like to have a testimony when I pray for this person that they get healed. And then you sort of step away from that. And, and essentially what, what I'm getting to is... is, is is we're talking about a lifestyle of worship, and uh, you know, worship is just something that I'm that I'm, I'm passionate about. Um, you know, I, I play in, I play in the band and and so forth. But it's it, it really doesn't have an awful lot to do with music. Worship is is all about the, the presence of God. You see, we we talk about the praise and worship band. The difference between praise and worship is that you can praise somebody even though he's not here. So if you watch the rugby last week, you say, you can say Faf de Klerk, what a beaut. Single-handedly, you know, preventing that winning try from being scored. And you, can, and you can praise him, he doesn't have to be here. But in order to worship somebody, you actually need to be in their presence. And so, so that's why in general what we do is we, we praise God and then Scripture says that we enter his gates through thanksgiving and praise. So as we praise him, we actually move to the place where we become aware of his presence. Um, so it's not that God comes into our presence. He's already everywhere. But we, in general, as we go through life, we're busy and we're distracted and we've got all sorts of things going on in our minds. If we stop and we begin to thank and to praise God, we move into a place where we can now become aware of his presence. And when we are aware of his presence, then we can begin to worship. Then we can, and, and worship is just a response to God's presence. And, you know, as, 
as I was preparing and, and, I've, and I've studied this topic before, I, I thought to myself, if only I could find a reference to worship somewhere out of the story of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, surely that would be useful because they had this perfect relationship with God. They, there was, <clears throat> and I'm talking about before, before any sin happened. So they, they would walk with God in the Garden of Eden every evening. Surely if we could learn something about how they worshipped, that would be extremely useful information. So I went looking and, and, and there was nothing, nothing to be found. The first place in the Bible where worship actually gets mentioned is in, later on in Genesis when, when Abraham takes his son to, uh, to the Mount Moriah to, to go and sacrifice Isaac. It's the first time in the Bible that, that worship is, is actually spoken, spoken of or mentioned. And in general, you can, you can know that it's, it's a sort of a significant... It has a significant bearing on how we interpret and understand a concept. Whenever it gets introduced in the, in the Bible for the first time, we can take note because it has a very significant bearing on how we understand it going forward. But, and I was wrestling with God about this. Why, 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 why don't we get the benefit of learning how um, Adam and Eve did praise and worship? Did they sing songs or did they just walk and talk? How, how did it happen? And I, and I just felt the Lord saying that when you are in the presence of God, everything that you do is worship. Worship isn't the songs that you sing or the, this or the that or whether you go on your knees or lie flat or lie on your back. It's not about what you do. Worship is just whatever our response is, our genuine heart's response is to his presence. And so because they were in God's presence all the time, they were just living a life of worship. And, and I want to hold it before, you know, before each one of us that that, it, that that is available to each one of us again through the cross of Jesus Christ and the work that he has done. He said it is finished and we can live our entire life in the presence of God. But what it would take for us is to, is to come through that gate with thanksgiving and praise, become aware of his presence respond to his presence, and then to actually find a way to start living our life in that place and not move around in and out all the time. And that's, that's essentially the challenge that I, that I feel God is, that God is holding before us, is that, we've, is that we've really come to a place where we value the presence of God, and we spend amazing times in worship. And it's amazing how when we are in that place where we're aware of God's presence... And out of that place, we begin to pray and intercede. How, and I think many of us experienced that. All of a sudden, when we prayed for people to get healed, they started getting healed. When we prayed for people to be delivered or set free, all of a sudden things started to happen. And, and it's amazing. And I really, I really feel that that is to be commended. And, I, and essentially, I want, I want to just bring the message today that I, that I feel the Lord is saying, that's awesome, but there's a lot more. And uh, and uh, and maybe you know maybe some of maybe some of you have started to feel a little bit um, discontent in a certain sense because in a sense what we've done is we've taken a couple of steps of faith and then we see a response and then 
maybe for a while nothing happens again, and then missions comes around again, or or you go to you know you go to an outreach in Southern Wood or somewhere, and you take another step of faith and you draw near to God, like your like your life depends on it, and then something awesome happens again, and then you kind of just slip out of that place again. And I feel that God is calling us to take or transition from a place where we take steps of faith in isolation for it to actually become a walk of faith. Like Enoch walked in habitual fellowship with God. It wasn't just every now and then that he would draw near to God. Like the proverbial... Um, sorry, my English has, has left me just for a second. The Nootville. Um, like an... Yeah, a spare wheel kind of doesn't, doesn't do it justice, but we kind of tend to want to turn to God in, in, in case of emergency um, in, instead of actually living our entire lives in that place. And I really feel that there's, that there's grace available for us to begin to do that and that if, that if God's kingdom is going to come on earth and the mandate that is given to the church is going to be fulfilled, that that is integral to that happening. So... I just want to, and I'm going to begin to wrap up pretty quickly. I haven't, um, I haven't got an awful lot beyond that that I actually want to share with you. I just want to leave us with a bit of time to actually respond. Um, but here's a scripture that I think as, as South Africans that we know very well. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. It's in Second Chronicles 7, verse, verse 15, 14, I believe. And, and, we, and we know that scripture so well because it's, it's, it's something that, that Uncle Angus Buchan, you know, has shared so often and so forth. But, but as, I was, as I was preparing this, I just, I just experienced the Holy Spirit showing me that there's, there's actually a lot of context and a lot of background to the scripture, because what had, what had happened, and let's, let's take three steps back. David, the story starts actually with David having said to God, God, here I am, I live in a beautiful palace, and you, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant that represents your presence, that's, that lives in a tent. It just doesn't add up with me. I'm, I'm not happy with that, God. Can't I build you a house? And so God responded, and he said, look, I've never asked for a house, and, um, you know, the thought never crossed my mind, but I'm so blessed by the fact that you would actually think of this, that I'm going to make a covenant with you. So God made a covenant with David, and he said that you will have somebody from your line on the throne of Israel forever. And so that's, that's why Jesus came from the, from the line of David, and he's enthroned forever. But, and, but God said, but, but you won't be the one to actually build the house. Your son Solomon is going to build the house. So, so David made sure that, that he got Solomon positioned as optimally as he could. By the time Solomon came, in, came into power, there was already a huge pile of gold and silver and cedar logs. You know, David had been planning it for years, even before Solomon started you know, started with the execution. But, but Solomon then actually built the temple. When the temple was finished, they had this massive, massive service to basically dedicate the, the new temple. And, and so what, what happened is 
during the service, God came and his presence inhabited the temple and the cloud of glory came and filled the place and the priests couldn't minister. And, and there's, there's scriptures that talk about, you know, all the singers and all the trumpet players and, and you know, everybody being there and doing their thing when the cloud came in and all of a sudden nobody, nobody could stand on their feet anymore because of the, the sheer weight of the presence of God. And, and I always used to think that that's, you know, that's there for us so that we can know that when a worship team really gets, like, gets it right, then like this cloud of glory can come and people won't even be able to stand. But it's, it's, not, so much about, it's not so much about what the people were doing. It's, the fact is that Solomon had finally finished building God a house. And so God moved into his house when the house was dedicated. And so Solomon, as part of that service, he prayed... And he, and he was asking God a whole lot of things, amongst others, that God would be in this place, and that when people pray in this place, that God would hear. And, and so what happened is, and I'm not sure if it's the next night or if it's a couple of nights later, but God then visited Solomon, and that's where the scripture comes in, where God actually visited Solomon, and he said, I've heard your prayer. And he basically recites Solomon pray, Solomon's prayer back to him. And that's where it comes from. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And then he goes on, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. So he's talking about that temple, that home that had been created for him to come and inhabit. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So here we have this Old Testament picture of somebody that had decided to, to make God a house. And God said, I love it. I'm going to come and live in this house, and my ears and my eyes and my heart is going to be there. And when people pray in this house, I'm going to hear. And... And the good news today is that, that that picture has been translated into the New Testament so that we can relate to it. Because if you, uh, if you were to look at John chapter 4, there's the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. And, and when, when this lady, when she sort of realizes that Jesus is a, is a very spiritual person, she, she re- recognizes him as an authority figure, she kind of comes at him with, with this burning question because the Samaritan people were at odds with the Jewish people and they were fighting about what is the right place or where is the right place to worship God. And so she decides, this guy seems like an authority on spiritual stuff. Let me ask him. So the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And so that's when Jesus response to it, and he talks about how God is looking for worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And um, he says God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And, and again, you know, being involved with praise and worship for, for a very long time, that's sort of a scripture that grabs your attention, but for the longest time, I just had no idea, you know, what to, what to actually make of it. What does it mean to worship in spirit and 
and in, and in truth. But if, if you actually look at the question that the woman is asking, she's really asking Jesus, where should we worship? Is it on this mountain or is it in Jerusalem? Because the temple was, was in Jerusalem. And because somehow I think there was this understanding that worship happens where the presence of God is. And so Jesus says, no, no, those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And he's talking about after the cross when the Holy Spirit would be given, when, when, when the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, would actually be with each one of us, that each one of us actually becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's, and that's where worship needs to happen. And to connect it back to the, the picture of Solomon's temple, that's where God's ear and his heart and his eyes are perpetually. And he, and he's, he always hears. So you and I can actually say, just like Jesus said when he, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, you know, he prayed and he said, thank you that you always hear my prayers. That, that, that is because there is a place where God always hears our prayers. And that place is in the temple, in his presence. And, and, so, and that's, that's what we've begun to experience and we've begun to taste. You know, when, um, when we were on the mission trip to, to Nepal two years ago, there was, on the second day of our, of our seminar, we, um, we were praying for people who had physical ailments. You know, they rushed forward. And, and so we started to, to pray for people, and, and it was just, I was just blown away by how people were, were getting healed. And all of a sudden, this one guy, this one guy came to me, and, and everything is via an interpreter. So, so now, now he says to me, now he's, 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 he's got a problem, and he, and he pulls his stomach in like all the way back to his spine like that, and he takes my hand and he sticks it in there like really deep, and I feel this throbbing, and I'm like... I'm pretty sure that's an artery. Um, you don't want me to pray for that to go away. <laughs> and, but this, this guy was convinced that, that, that he had a big problem. Everybody else is getting prayed for. Everybody else is getting healed. And, and um, I'd hate to be the one that kind of just like deflates the whole, you know, the whole atmosphere. And so I try to explain via the, you know, via the interpreter that, I don't think what he's showing me is, is a problem. And, 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 but, but he insists, no, no, there's, there's, something, there's something really wrong. And so I was getting a little bit, a little bit flustered. And, and sort of in that moment, it was, it, was like, it was like the Holy Spirit just sort of came and just tapped on my shoulder and said, no, no, why are you doing this on your own? Because it, it's, so easy, it's so easy for us to say prayers you know, say the words based on what we see, and we're actually not, first of all, just positioning ourselves in that place where God actually hears our prayers. If we're just saying the words without being in that place, there's not a lot of power in our prayer. So, so I said, okay, close my eyes, and I asked Holy Spirit. You know, luckily, He can't understand me. So I just said, Holy Spirit, please show me what's going on here. And, and I just waited for the Holy Spirit. And, and he showed me, you know, a, a couple of things which I could then pray into. And as I prayed that, he showed me a couple of other things. And I don't remember all of the detail, but it was, it was kind of like a rabbit trail that I followed the Holy Spirit along. 
And when I'd finished, the guy looked at me with wide eyes like that. And via the interpreter, he explained that he experienced everything that I'd been praying for in the order that I prayed, prayed for it and that his problem is now sorted. I still don't know what his problem was. <laughs> but, but he had an encounter with God. And, um, and, and I, just, I just feel that you know, that is what we've begun to experience as a church. And, and God is calling us to, to come away from a place where we sort of move in and out of that place, that place where God's ear and his heart and his, and his eyes are, and that we begin to perpetually live there. And, and yes, in a sense, I'm, I'm talking about cultivating a, a hunger and an appreciation for, for God's presence, but, but it's, I feel it's even more than that. I feel, you know, like we've, we've almost come to a place where, where, where we limit what we allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. I don't know if you know the, the, the cartoon story about Peanuts, and there's this one character, Linus, I don't know if that's the right pronunciation for it, but he always carries his little blanket around, and 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 I, and I felt that specifically is something that the Holy Spirit wants to, you know, wants to wants to touch on today. Is that there's some of us that have that have gotten ourselves into a place. Maybe it's not intentionally, but we've gotten ourselves into a place where we relate to the Holy Spirit like that little blanket, or our little soft toy, and He is our comforter only. And and that's great, and He comforts us, and that's part of what the Holy Spirit has come to do, but. I really feel strongly that, that it's so on the Holy Spirit's heart to actually take us deeper into Jesus and to reveal more of Christ to us. So I want you to, we, we're going we're gonna to wrap up just now. And that, that's going to be one of, I think, one of, you know, just one of the, the opportunities for response that I want to give. But, you know, just, just in closing, there have been a couple, of, a couple of scriptures that I think for my entire life I've just never, never known what to make of it. Um, it's kind of like a Ripley's Believe It or Not kind of section of the Bible where you have these you know, fantastical things happening but you, know, you, don't, know what to, you know what, don't know what to make of it. One, one of those stories is in Second Kings thirteen twenty one. It says, So it was as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. And so, it's talking about a period after now Elijah had gone and Elisha had gone. It's talking about a period when, when Israel was in decline. And so, a guy had passed away and things were, things were bad. There would be these bands of, of raiders that would come and, and, you know, pillage, steal from the villagers. So they were busy with the funeral, and it must have been like a bit of a mass grave. We don't know the details, but suddenly a band of raiders come out of the bushes. The funeral party gets a fright. They drop the guy into the hole and run away. In this hole were the bones of Elisha. So when he touches the bones, all of a sudden he comes alive. Can you imagine waking up in a hole <laughs> like that? And, you know, in, in Acts chapter 19, we also, we also just read about how God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out, went out of them. 
you know, what, what do you do with a with a story like that? And and I was and I was reminded of I was reminded of a book that I'd read about Smith Wigglesworth, who was, was, was an amazing general of God, probably probably about a hundred years ago, and and he was. He was spending a day with a journalist, somebody that was there to, to basically interview him. And so they were walking, and, and, they, and the story goes that, that they crossed the road. And in the middle of the road, and this journalist writes about how he was completely freaked out because of all the traffic. I don't know how much traffic there was back then, but I'm sure it's not like what we know today. But in the middle of the road, this great man of God stopped, despite all of the cars around them, and he, and he waited for a couple of seconds, and then he walked further. And so the journalist asked him, what, what happened? It's not safe to stop in the middle of the road. And uh, maybe in defense of, of the story, traffic laws and those things wouldn't have been as well defined back then. So I'm sure the road was dangerous. And, uh, and so Smith Wigglesworth says to him, no, I just, for a second there I felt like I lost my connection to the Holy Spirit. So he stops in the middle of the road, until he, until he feels that that's, that that's restored. And, and there's another story with, about the same man on his ministry travels. He would, he would uh, stay with a family. And the, the, the wife, the woman of the house, was a believer, but, the, but the, the husband wasn't. She'd been praying for him, and it just didn't seem like there was any light at the end of the tunnel. And so eventually, on one of his visits... She came and spoke to him and said, listen, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. He's just not interested in the gospel. And so Smith Wigglesworth says to her, okay, when I, when I leave, just don't wash the sheets. Because he, he was staying in, in the main bedroom. So, so when he left, um, she didn't replace or wash the sheets. So that night, as, as her husband slept in the bed where Smith Wigglesworth had slept, in the middle of the night, he woke up and felt so convicted of his sin that he got to his knees by the side of the bed, repented, and gave his life to God. And, 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 and that's, I think that's just an illustration of what great men of God have always done and known, and that, and that I think we're beginning to learn. People like Elijah or Elisha or Paul, they were... They were so consistently spending time in that place of close fellowship with the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit would permeate their being so much so that the clothes that was on Paul's body actually just carried that anointing and the bones of Elisha's body or the sheets that Smith Wigglesworth had slept in. And you know, these are, these are kind of funny, eccentric, int- interesting things. It's not the type of things that, that, we, that we make and based doctrine around. But essentially it comes down on this biblical principle, and this is where I'm wanting to close. In James chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And, and that's, you know, as an engineer, I look at it and I see, I see a beautiful setup because it's like, you know, Wimbledon is on TV. It says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. In other words, God will put the ball back in your court. You can hit it straight back to him. He'll hit it straight back to you. So this can be an infinite loop of drawing near to God. He responds. 
You respond, he responds, you respond, he responds. And there's no, there's no end, actually, to, to how near we can draw to God. And there's nothing that says that we, need to, that we need to be living our lives from a place where, where you travel once a year to go to the temple to go and worship. And then you, and then you go out again and, and you go, go about your business and then every now and then you kind of drop your real-world activities and you go to the temple to worship. I really feel that God, God has called us to actually figure out how to, how to live in that place of worship, being aware of His presence as we do all of the other things that life in general requires from us. But it's God's heart that we not get ensnared in the things of this world. He talks about it being civilian matters. We've been enlisted in His army. So that's what I have on my heart for us.